Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are far above all that we see, all that we have ever discovered or imagined. You exist in heaven, and we are far below. And in these times of uncertainty and fear of tumult among the peoples, you are unmoved, unshaken, solid, and stable. And as we gather together this morning, our prayer is that you would fix us, fix our hope upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that we too would be unshaken and unmoved, that our fear would not be of what man can do to us or any earthly or even heavenly power, but that our fear would be of you. We pray that we would have the fear of the Lord, that we would tremble in your presence and rejoice in your mercy. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we want to greet those of you joining us through live stream this morning. We're glad that you're able to join with us remotely. We want to say thank you to all of you here who have responded with your plans uh, for attendance each week. It makes it possible for us to arrange things in our rooms safely. And again, if if you don't respond, that's fine. You can still join us and just find one of those open seats. As you know, we're asking everyone to wear a mask, and if you're able to do that, we're asking you to, during the service and during your time here at the church. It seems like everyone has an opinion about masks. Everyone in the media has an opinion about the efficacy of masks, whether or not they help or not. Well, we're not experts, but our reasons for asking you that, our main reason is to help slow down whatever you might have. We know that it's possible to be contagious and have no symptoms, And if that happens to one of us or several of us, we hope will slow down the spread of the coronavirus. Now, having said that, if you ever during your time here in the service are feeling lightheaded or short of breath, feel free to take that mask off and catch your breath. We understand that may happen. Don't worry, there are no mask police Well, I'm nervous and excited to tell you that we're tentatively planning to have our annual youth service trip to Camp Apennus. We did not expect we'd be able to, but we think we have uh, safe plans in place to be able to do that. Normally, we raise support for that through the coffee house each year, but obviously we uh, canceled our coffee house. And so if you'd like to support the trip uh, during the offering, you can write out a separate check to MCC and just label that youth service trip, and that will go right towards the work we do down at the camp. The regular offering this morning will be collected at the end of the service. The red buckets will be out on the columns, or if you're joining us remotely, you can mail those in uh, P.O. Box 200, Martinsdale, Iowa, 50160. Please open your Bibles, if you have one, uh, to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to continue our study of this fourth chapter of Ephesians. 
We've slowed down here um, a little bit as we move through Paul's instruction here, but precisely because I think the topics we've been dealing with the last few weeks, we'll deal with this week, next week, are so fundamental, bread and butter, everyday issues. They're incredibly practical. Um, This morning, we're going to look at controlling your tongue. We're really just going to look at two verses of Ephesians chapter 4. But I'd like to begin by reading the entire section, and then we'll have a word of prayer. The notes are with both and or if you're visiting us online at the church website or in the email you received, either one of those places, you can print that off. Let's read the passage, and then we'll have a word of prayer. Beginning in Ephesians 4, verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Put off your old self, which is being, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Lord God, we pray that you would give us the grace, the strength, the diligence to put off our old man, that we might live differently than we did before we knew you. We pray that you would, by your spirit, renew our minds, renew our inward being, transform us into the image of your son. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to put on the new man, created in Christ Jesus, that we might bear fruit to your glory that we might walk in the good works that you have prepared beforehand for us. And now, Lord, as we study this most important of issues, the proper use of our tongue and words, Lord, let these matters not glance off of us. Let us not look in the mirror and walk away forgetting who we are, but let us change how we speak. Let our words be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The reason why I keep reading this section and why I I want to view each of our studies, whether it's on anger or theft or speech, in view of this whole section for two reasons. The first of which, Paul, in this half of Ephesians, breaks up 
his sections pretty clearly. The first three chapters of Ephesians that we worked through deal with doctrine or truth or indicatives. And then, bridging it with a pastoral prayer at the end of chapter 3, chapter 4 begins a section of application. Here's how to live in light of that truth. And we can see Paul's um, literary device breaking up his sections under the, the, the figure of speech, walking. Five times he breaks up his sections with that. So you look at chapter 4, verse 1. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And so we dealt with that as a section. But then, a few weeks ago, Pastor Daniel began our second walk. Verse 17. This I say and testify to you in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then he describes the way the Gentiles formerly walked. And then, the contrast, where we picked up, but that is not the way you learned Christ. And in 5.2, walk in love. 5.8, walk as children of light. And 5.15, walk not as unwise, but as wise. And then starting, that bridges into what we call Paul's household code. Individual instructions for Christians in individual circumstances. Wives, husbands, parents, children, slaves, masters. We'll get to all of that. So we are in this section, but more importantly, it is crucial to remember that this study of the tongue this morning is predicated upon, built upon, what is said in verse 20. I emphasize this, I highlighted this in previous weeks to greater, with greater um, precision or time, but I would remind you, all of this ethical instruction, don't do this, do this, assumes a gospel foundation. If we don't highlight that again and again and again, this becomes moralism. This becomes moralism, and it's not that. This instructions are for those who have learned Christ, verse 20, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And then Paul gives us our paradigm for change. He gives us, if you look at the bottom of the sheet, that blue arrow, that's, that's a tool I'll use frequently because Paul views three axes in approaching change. There is a putting off, and you'll need practical, concrete steps in whatever issue you need to put off. There is a renewing, a vertical arrow, and there is a positive putting on. And so that, that arrow, the bottom of your sheet, I'll frequently use in counseling in my own life because we need to think through all three of those. So often, we just focus on the put-off. We just focus on the troubling, embarrassing, besetting sin. i got to stop doing that. And, and insofar as that goes, that's good. That's not how Paul calls on us to change. We need to focus not only on what not to do, but what to do. Last week we saw, when is a thief no longer a thief? It's not when he stops stealing. Could be taking a break. Having a sabbatical. No, a thief is no longer a thief when he stops stealing and has developed a solid work ethic. And when he's become generous to other people. That's when change has happened. So we aren't just simply looking at what not to do, but what to do. And that's flowing out of the gospel, right? Because this is a renewal of the Holy Spirit. And if you look at verse 23, to be renewed in the spirits of your minds, having put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
This is the consequence of salvation, not its cause. This is the result, the proof, if you will, of our salvation. Our fruit bearing proves and demonstrates the reality of our salvation, but it is not its foundation. So that means then, if you are sitting here today and have a problem with your tongue and with words, this message will be useful for you if you are first in Christ. And so I'll just pause again. It's, it's, it's never something to assume. And have you turned from your sin? Have you turned from your gods and your treasures in this world and bowed the knee to King Jesus? Have you looked to him for forgiveness of sins? Have you looked to him as your sacrifice? Are you trusting in him? Are you following him? Is he your God, your supreme treasure, your greatest joy? If you are, we're going to talk about how to live out that newness of life in him as it relates to your tongue today. If you are not, call on the Lord. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm going to make Paul's assumption here, moving forward now in our message, that this is for believers. And you'll see his instruction follows the pattern he laid out in verse 20 through 24, the, the putting off, the renewal, and the put on. In fact, I've broken your three points that way. Put off, put on, renew. So let's dive in and look at the put off. And the blank here is corrupt speech. Put off, corrupt speech. This is pretty straightforward. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. There's your command. There's your put off. And I want to look at this put off in two aspects. It's fruit and it's root. The actual things, when I think of fruit, I'm thinking of... uh, Words, deeds, things that occur in time and space, and the root, motives of the heart, values of the heart. Because remember, Jesus tells us that whatever we say, whatever we do, it comes out of the heart. In fact, this picture of corrupt, and the Greek is literally rotting, may indeed even stem from Jesus. I want you to listen to Jesus' own speech about this. In Luke chapter 6, no good tree bears bad, corrupt, rotten fruit. That's our word. Nor again does a bad, rotten, corrupt tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Your words reflect your heart. We oftentimes say when we lose control of ourselves, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. You absolutely meant that. For a moment. Now, hopefully you may have repented that and mean that no more. But make no mistake, that was a reflection of your heart. That was a reflection of my heart. And so we're going to look at it in those ways. So what is the fruit specifically he's talking about? He's talking about corrupt or rotting words. And here, the focus, and here's your blank, is not false speech. It's not what Paul has in view here, but rather evil speech. Earlier, we had instruction on the tongue back in verse 25, did we not? And there the emphasis was on the true and the false. What is true and right, what is a lie. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. 
So that's not what he's talking about here. He's coming at it from a different angle. Sometimes what you and I say can be wrong. We mean, we have the best intentions, our motives are right, and we're just dead wrong. Right? And, and, and so there's a value in truth. There's also a value in wholesomeness, healthiness, that which strengthens and builds up as opposed to that which is rotting, worthless, useless. So not false speech here, but evil speech, unhelpful speech, destructive speech, godless speech, something like that. And your next blank is there are many types of this speech. You know, if you're like me, when you first came to this passage, I thought Paul's talking about cussing, bad words. I, I don't think that's primarily what he has in view. The, re- the reason why I say that is he'll address that specifically in chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. But sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. That's where I think Paul has that locker room humor, four-letter words in view. I mean, it may fall under the umbrella here, but I think his umbrella here is much, much broader. In fact, I, I did a study of Proverbs. I just went through Proverbs yesterday on my deck, trying to find categories of corrupt, unhelpful speech. Because Paul's going to contrast this with speech that builds up, speech that encourages, speech that gives grace. Let me give you some categories. Let's get this net broader. You may not be sitting here thinking you have a problem with corrupt speech because you don't swear. Maybe the net's a little bigger than you think. So here are just some of the categories. I've got first and most obviously crass or profane words. Paul deals with that in Ephesians chapter 5. We just talked about that. Second type of corrupt speech I can think of would be enticements to sin. I'm just, we're starting with the most obvious ones, right? Enticements to sin. So Proverbs 1, 10 through 19, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. So some speech is corrupt simply because you're calling on others to sin. We may do this. Friends may tell their friends to ignore their parents, to lie to them, to disobey them, to deceive them. They, what they know won't hurt them. Couples will oftentimes talk each other into doing things they should not do. This can happen everywhere. We can entice each other to all sorts of sin. That's an obvious type of corrupt speech, enticing to sin. I'll remind you what Jesus said in Luke 17 about that. He said to disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better if a millstone were hung around his neck than if he were cast into the sea. That he should cause one of these little ones to sin. So that's a pretty obvious category of sinful speech, corrupt speech. We've got... Crass, profane words, vulgar words. we got enticements to sin. Okay, what else? Gossip and slander. And if, you, and if you want to turn to Proverbs, I'll give you some of these references. You can write these down or I can give you the sheet later. There's a lot of them. Gossip and slander. That's a form of corrupt speech. And, and we generally don't think of these as big issues. One of the things I hope you get this morning is that how you use your tongue. The, the words that come out of your mouth matter. They matter a whole lot. I went through Proverbs a couple years ago, underlining verses that um, reference the tongue and speech in blue. 
I think I got about a third of the book. And if God has so much attention to give to how we speak, we must not view it as a small matter, a little peccadillo. So listen to this. Gossip and slanderous words. Proverbs 11, 12 to 13. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seek love, seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 20, 19. Therefore, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. Gossip and slander, speaking ill of your brothers and sisters to others, that's corrupt. That stinks. Okay, flattering words, flattering words. A lying tongue hates its victim and a flattering mouth works ruin, Proverbs 26, 28. Proverbs 28, 23, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. I just like telling people what they like to hear. I like people liking me. I like to tell things. It doesn't matter if it's true. I just want their praise. I just worship their approval. You can go on. Flattery. How about angry words? Words spoken in wrath. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. You can use your tongue and your words like a sword thrust. And vivisect and slice and dice somebody where you can heal them. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh answer stirs up anger. Okay, I'll give you another category. So we've got crass, profane words, enticements to sin, gossip and slanderous words, flattering words, angry words. How about hinting, winking, unclear words? Surprisingly, the Proverbs have a lot to say about this. God wants from us a simple, plain, direct, speaking the truth in love. And what we often do will insinuate things. I tend to think it's cowardly most of the time. You don't want to quite come out and say something. You want to leave yourself room to say, what? I never said that. You just want to insinuate. You just want to hint. You just want to... I mean, that's, what, that's how the serpent deceived Eve. Did, did God really say? And notice the serpent never actually said God didn't say it. He just asked a question. Proverbs 6 12 to 14, a worthless person, a wicked man goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, sowing discord continually. Proverbs 17, 4, an evildoer listens to wicked lips, a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Proverbs 18, 8, the words of a whisperer. Like delicious morsels, they go down into the inner parts of the body. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. And so we can do a lot of evil with our tongues, leaving ourselves plenty of plausible deniability. I never said that. I just, you know, asked some questions. Like the serpent. Mocking, scoffing words. Proverbs 14, 6 to 9. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for man of understanding. Leaves the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. Wisdom of the prudent is the way to wisdom of the prudent 
is to discipline his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. Proverbs 22.10, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. You just like to laugh and mock and ridicule things. You're a scoffer. That's, that's corrupt speech. Okay? How about grumbling, complaining words? You remember Exodus 16 too? This is the besetting sin of the Israelites. Why didn't the Israelites get to enter the promised land? Why did millions of them die in the desert? Because they grumbled over and over again. They grumbled, they grumbled, they put God to the test, they grumbled, they complained, they grumbled. And we think it's a small sin. A generation of an entire nation died, with two exceptions, because of grumbling. Exodus 16, 2-3, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, what would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out in the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 10, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. This is a big issue. Grumbling, discontent, complaining, big issue. An entire national disaster happened because of grumbling. Okay, let's go next. Worldly wisdom. And here, it's less that what's coming from your heart is is evil motives, but rather you're not relying on God's truth. And so we can speak corrupt speech when we take the principles, the values, the wisdom of this world, and we tell them to other people. Paul tells us in Colossians 2, 3, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Therefore, verses 8 through 9, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so often when I'm talking to people in difficult scenarios, they will tell me the advice and the counsel they get from their Christian brothers and sisters. And so often it's not from Scripture, it's from Oprah or Dr. Phil, or whatever the pop psychological trend is. And so we are giving corrupt speeches coming out of our mouths when we are relaying the wisdom of man, and not God's truth. That's corrupt. We're discouraging words. This is my last category that I came up with, discouraging words. You remember that 12 spies went to spy on Cana? Ten, ten were bad and two were good, Right? No, there it is. Twelve spies went to spy out Cana, ten were bad, and two were good. The ten bad spies gave a bad report of the land. They discouraged the people. They left God out. They, they forgot about his promises. And when the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, Numbers 14, 36, and 37, returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report of the land. Was that a big deal? The men who brought the bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. And, and I'm sure you could come up with more categories than that. And my hoping at this point that all of us here recognize that we struggle, we do these things, we speak foolishly. Oh, one more, sorry, one more category. Foolish babbling words. 
The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. This is just, just talking for the sake of talking. Like Peter, he, he spoke, though we know not what he said. Whoever winks with the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. Proverbs 10.10. 10. Oh, there's all types of corrupt communication, corrupt speech. And so when Paul says, let no corrupt words come out of your mouth, there's a, there's a whole smorgasbord of options of what he's talking about. Um, in fact, I don't think he's primarily thinking about coarse language. He's going to deal with that in chapter 5. He's talking about all the various ways that corrupt words can come out, all the ways we can unedify, unbuild Christ's church. There are many types of this speech. Point three, Paul is emphatic on this. In the Greek, it comes out even more clearly. Not one word. Not one such word. Um, literally in the Greek, each or every rotting word, do not let out of your mouth. It's emphatic. There's no small allowance that you get. None. Zero. This is just echoing the standard of Jesus, is it not? Listen to Matthew 12, 33 to 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Let me repeat that again. We are saved by faith, but Lord Jesus tells us, we will be justified or condemned by our words. I think the rationale is that when we stand before the judgment throne, were our faith to be spurious, were our faith to be a figment of our imagination, would we be like those to whom the Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you? He would point to our tongues and our use and say something like, of course I never knew you. Look at how you spoke. The tree is known by its fruit. Of course you're a thorn tree. Look at all these thorns. Conversely, if the accuser himself were in the throne room of God railing against us, God could point to, look, look at these figs and grapes. Look at these words of faith. Of course, this is a fig tree. So Jesus puts a lot of importance on the words we speak. Every idle, careless word that we speak will be given an account. And by our words will be justified. By our words will be condemned. We don't often, I don't see those crocheted on the wall of houses, but it's true. This is matters, every word. And so we're to cast off all of that type of evil speech. That's the put off. That's the put off. What root does this come from? What root? Because Jesus just told us, out of the heart come the words. So what's going on in the heart of this type of corrupt speech? Well, again, I'll play this off of what Paul says to put on. And first, I'll say is carelessness. Carelessness. And this is, this is uh, what I can struggle with. I, I, I like to talk. I talk a lot. I think what I have to say is important. And I oftentimes don't think before I speak. Not much. Not like I should. And, and the Proverbs commend thinking. 
You're not going to accidentally glorify God. If you're not being purposeful in how you speak, you're not just going to sort of default into truth, righteousness, and glory. Proverbs 10, 8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool comes to ruin. And again, a babbling fool will come to ruin. Whereas Proverbs 15, 23, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man. A word in season, how good it is. Proverbs 25, 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. So carelessness, not thinking. Something comes into your mind, you just say it. And our culture encourages this because your opinion matters and what you think is important. And social media wants you to know. Just just say it. Get it out there so millions of people can see the first thing that came into your head. Right? And, And Scripture says a wise person gives thought before they speak. So carelessness. You can't obey this command if you're not guarding your lips and your tongue. And if you're not guarding your lips and your tongue, what's in your heart will come up, and there will be corrupt words coming out. Secondly, self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. And where I get that from is your words ought to be focused on the other person and blessing them. And so if you're Corrupt words are coming up. I'm presuming, since Paul says put on, thinking of the other person, that you're not thinking of the other person. You're just thinking about what pleases you or me. I think this is interesting, so surely you've got to think this is interesting. I think this is funny. Surely you'll be blessed by that. So carelessness and self-centeredness, I think, is at the heart of this. And then depending on the various types of corrupt communication, of course, other things like what's, what's coming up with grumbling, a discontent heart, and a, a heart that worships the creation, enticements to sin or gossip or slander, it could be envy going on. But at the very least, across all of these sins of the tongue is a lack of attention. You're not guarding your mouth. You're not guarding your tongue. And a lack of concern for the other person. You're not thinking about them. In fact, this was one of the, the most helpful challenges I got was from a mentor of mine when I was out in California, Charlie and Cindy Mudd. Charlie Mudd um, was in our small group, our fellowship group at Grace Community Church, and he was sort of mentoring my wife and I, and his wife were. And I remember one day he pulled me aside, and we had Bible study at his house. And I loved Bible study. And I'd bust out of my great New Testament. I'd, you know, I'd have like eight books around me. I'd sort of set up a little station and be there. And, no, I'm not even joking. I bring like a bag of things. And, and I really think my motives were mostly pure. I just was excited about this. But what happened was I would just talk about what I was thinking about. And I honestly think probably most of it was decent. I don't think I was speaking heresy or perverse things. But Charlie pulled me aside one day and he said to me, Jeremy, you're a seminary student. You get to study this all week. You're in class. There are some people who come here to our small group. This is, this is it. This is it. And you're studying to be a shepherd? Are you giving any thought to them, what they need to hear, what might draw them out, get them involved? And the simple answer was no. They had something to say. They were welcome to say it, and I did, so I was going to speak. And it started changing the way Serena and I would go to small group, and we would pray in the parking lot. I'd stop, because if you're not purposeful, you're not going to think about this. And to this day, this is something I need to remind myself of. This is still not a habit or pattern for me. And I have to stop and say, Lord, 
Give me the wisdom to know what will encourage and bless, what is fitting and appropriate. Give me the wisdom to know when to shut my mouth. And let me be concerned and let me have an eye to the others in the room and what's good for them, needful for them, and speak with them in view in relation. It's not a system of rules. It's just have them in view. Have these values in view. I think God will give me the wisdom. God will give you the wisdom to know when to speak, how to speak. But if we're not thinking that way, we're simply speaking to serve ourselves, to please ourselves. And so when we're speaking carelessly, without thought, and when our sole goal is our own pleasure and what seems good to us, corrupt things are going to come out. Okay, so then what do we put on? Upbuilding speech. Upbuilding speech or edifying speech. And that's one of the reasons I love this passage is so often when you're dealing with the immature... They want to know what's wrong with something. You're going to watch that movie, are you? Wow, what's wrong with it? Or they say something, they use a figure of speech, and you kind of look at them funny. That didn't seem helpful. What's wrong with it? Because Paul doesn't leave it there simply saying, let no corrupt word come out of your tongue, we don't get to ask that. You have to have positive qualifications that your words need to meet. Now, I've used this illustration before, but the Christian, the person who's asking what's wrong with it, is always evidencing immaturity. You've heard me use this illustration from my economics professor, but it, it's, it's apt. You know, if you win the, the drawing, you're the 8,000 customer going to Fairway, and you get three minutes in the money room, and you show up. You remember this one, right? In the money room, there's tables, a pile of money. There's a pile of ones, there's a pile of fives, there's a pile of 20s, there's a pile of 50s, there's a pile of $100 bills. They give you a shopping bag, and you got three minutes to get as much money in that bag as you can. And you get to have your friends show up with you, and they're watching, they're going to cheer you on. They fire the gun, the lights are flashing, and you just book it over that ones table, and you're just slamming ones in your bag. And all your friends say, what are you doing at the ones table? And you turn to them and you say, why? What's wrong with the ones? And the answer, of course, is nothing, stupid. <laughs> if all you're worried about is what's wrong with it, you're asking the wrong question. And Paul doesn't leave it there so we could just debate and come up with a list of bad words. Don't do this. Do- There's a put on. And so if somebody says, what was wrong with what I said? You can then ask, was it, was it these other things? What's he say? But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. Upbuilding speech, fruit and deeds. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about good words. We're talking, in contrast to rotten words, good words, healthy words. This is a link, by the way, with the thief. The thief... There's two links, actually, with the thief in the last week's instruction. The thief was to do hard work and to do good work. He was to learn how to do good, useful work. If you're struggling with your tongue, you need to become accustomed to learn how to speak what is good, what is healthy, what is helpful, what is life-giving. Listen to some of these passages about the power that's in the tongue. This is amazing. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 15.4 The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb and sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 16.23.24 Proverbs 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue 
and those who love it will eat its fruits. So you can speak in a way that heals. You can speak in a way that is sweet and healthy, life-giving. You can speak those healthy, good words. So good words, such as is good for building up, and needed words, point two, needed words. That's the other need. Remember, the, the thief goes from thinking about what he wants and what he needs to what others need. He works hard so that he may have something to give those who are in need. That's the same notion here. It's, in fact, the same word in the Greek. Only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, literally, as is needed. So not only does the thief need to be aware of where their needs, where their physical needs that people have, but with our tongues, we're all supposed to be thinking, what is needed here? You may have something good to say. Is it necessary right now? Is it helpful right now? Do you, do you think it, have you even thought about it? This is precisely what I fail to do most commonly. I'm the senior pastor. Of course, what I have to say is needed. No. Daniel's been enjoying this series. As I have to skewer myself. No, this is precisely my problem. I think too highly of myself, and I think what I have to say is important. And so instead of thinking and stopping and saying, hmm, I'll just keep talking. I have this sort of shotgun approach. You know, hopefully out of all the words I say, some of it will stick and do good. Although scripture would warn, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Proverbs 10, 19 to 21. Proverbs 13, 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his mouth comes to ruin. Proverbs 15, 23, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man, a word in season, how good it is. Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. The mouth of the wicked pours forth evil things. Proverbs 18, 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs 21, 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Uh, I had a professor in college, and was a biblical counseling major, um, Professor Smith, and he met and worked with me on, on helping me use my words and my tongue better. I like to debate and argue, and I sort of had the mentality that I'm right, so it doesn't matter if I'm nice about it, because I'm right. And he this, this verse, Proverbs 25, 11, became kind of the theme verse for our meetings in that counseling time. Um, apples of gold and settings of silver. A word fitly spoken. Notice there's two things. It's the right word and it's the right time. And he said, Jeremy, you are often accurate. You're right. Oftentimes you're... Because he saw me in class and I'd argue with students and debate. And you got like apples of gold on like clay trays. Dirty clay trays. The delivery mechanism that brings them is not fitting. And that was, that was a blessing and a help to me as well. So good words, needed words. And I, and I guarantee you, if you even just stop to think about this, the Lord will give you wisdom. If you even are just even thinking, hey, do, would this be fitting? Would this be appropriate? Is there something I could say that could be a right for this moment? If you even think about that, I guarantee the Spirit's going to give you wisdom on that one. You don't need a list. You just need to be mindful of it. 
So what do we put on? Good words. We put on necessary words, which means then what needs to be in our heart? First, attentiveness and alertness. You can't do this if you're just speaking casually all the time. And you need to pray. Psalm 141.3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The second attitude you need to put on your heart is servant-heartedness. Or is this a word, others-focusedness? Microsoft Word didn't like that one. So servant-heartedness is what we'll go with. But that's the focus is, are you using your tongue and your words as a servant, as a slave of the living God? God has said, I want you to build up and edify and speak healthy, good, necessary words to your brothers and sisters. Or do you just think, my mouth exists for my pleasure? I like to hear myself talk, and I'll tell you what I think, and you'll be blessed by that. You've got to have a servant's attitude in this. A servant's attitude in this. Because our tongues and how we speak is so important. You've got to be thinking about what is good, what is true, what is needed. Be alert. Be focused on the other person. That's, that's what you need to put on. Oh, man, our time is going weird. Thankfully, it's no children's church that makes me stop, so we'll just plow on ahead for a few more minutes. A few more minutes. Um, let's get down to the renew. And I kind of wiggled renew in. This is the final clause, what not to do. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But I think this truth that he brings up in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption, is precisely that type of truth that will renew our minds, that we probably forget. Um, Why this matters so much. I mean, think about that. How you and I speak can grieve God the Spirit. So don't do it. You're not just speaking for one. And so we're reminded here that God is personal and emotional. God is personal and emotional. By the way, the blank here is renew his godly speech. God is personal and God is emotional. And we can so often think of God as, as sovereign and in charge and ruling that we can almost think of him as, as non-emotional is so great and mighty that his heart is never grieved. And certainly, I, like you, really struggle when you know, people try to present God as needy. Like, Do it for Jesus. He really needs you. But, but, but there is a deep and real truth here. The way you speak, the way I speak, can grieve the heart of God. That's significant. <laughs> And if we remember that, the flip side is the way we speak can please God, the Spirit. It's because God is personal and God is emotional. We've already seen that in Ephesians 1. He loved us with a great love. and He is able to be grieved by the words coming out of our mouth. And he reminds us that we are sealed with that Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit who is himself, God dwells within us. So he gets an inside view when we speak corruptly. He is there with us when we complain, when we gossip, when we grumble, when we use foul words, when we adopt the wisdom of the world, when we mock, when we scoff, when we speak foolishly, when we discourage others, when we flatter 
We speak in anger. We hint and wink and speak vaguely, insinuating things. He's, he's there for the ride within each and every one of us if you're a Christian. You are sealed by him, and he will stay in and you and with you until the day of redemption. So final thought on this then. Why does Paul link grieving the Holy Spirit specifically to this sin? Based on what I've just said, he's in you. He's in me. Would he not be equally grieved by anger? Would he not be equally grieved by lying? Would he not be equally grieved by theft? Why does Paul link this here? I think there's a good reason why. Why would the Holy Spirit be especially grieved, saddened, by corrupt, unedifying language? Well, and here's your blanks. He is the agent of our reconciliation, our unity, and our peace. He's the agent of our reconciliation, our unity, and our peace. Listen to Ephesians 2, 18. For through him, the Spirit, we have access... No, sorry. For through him, Christ, in one Spirit to the Father. So we have access to the Father through the Spirit. So he has our communal access... He grants us access to God the Father. But notice, turn in Ephesians 2 to the particular ministry the Holy Spirit is engaged in. Okay? Verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation, built on the foundation, the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, we've got an extended building metaphor, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by who? The Spirit. What ministry is the Holy Spirit engaged in? What activity is he focused on now in this age and in us? He is building us together. He is building us up. To a holy temple. That's the Spirit's work. Christ is the cornerstone, the foreman, if you will, of this building project is the Holy Spirit. How is that work accomplished? How does the building get built up? What's the bricks, mortar, the roof? Look at verse, chapter 4, verse 15. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Holy Spirit is focused on this building project of building the church up into a holy temple. How does that temple, now switching the metaphor to body, get built through each member speaking the truth in love? The construction project occurs as we speak good, healthy, needful words. Who enables us to speak such words? Go to chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And what will happen when we're filled with the Spirit? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Oh, it's coming out of our tongue. So, so get this picture together. As we get ready to close and sing our closing song. Get this picture together. The Holy Spirit is indwelt in you and he's indwelt in me. To make us one and be unified. So in chapter 4, verse 3, maintaining the unity of the Spirit. And he gets us together, and there's this building project. And the Holy Spirit is kind of like the foreman, the coach, and the equipper. And he's giving us the tools to get this job done. And he's organizing us. 
And this building, this temple, this body is being built up through one mechanism. The brick, the mortar, the concrete, it's speaking the truth in love. That's how it gets built up. When each and every part does that. So imagine then, it's time for work. We all get together. The church gathers. The Spirit's there to superintend. The Spirit's there to fill and equip each one so that they would indeed speak the truth in love. And then Jeremy shows up, and instead of having bricks and mortar, he dumps out rotting fish. And then starts tearing down the scaffolding. And then starts calling on others to join him in going fishing instead of building the temple. You think that might grieve the heart of the foreman? The reason the Holy Spirit would be particularly grieved by you or I not speaking in an edifying way, not building up others, not giving grace, is because that is how the body builds itself up in love. And the Spirit is overseeing this building ministry. So remember as we leave, pray that God would give us grace to remember as we leave, that how we speak is so much more important. The primary good work you will do will come out of your mouth in your life as you speak the words of life to others, as you speak encouragement to others, as you speak warnings to others, as you rebuke others, as you teach others. And life and death is in the power of the tongue. It matters how we speak. The Holy Spirit cares and lives within us. Do not grieve him. Let's have a word of prayer as we move to our closing song. Lord God, we tell ourselves that the words that come out of our mouths do not really matter. We tell ourselves these are small foibles. If there are more important things, but there's few things as important as this. Help us renew our minds to believe and understand that we are playing part in something far more important, the building up of your body. And that how we speak matters matters to our brothers and sisters and it matters to you and how we speak can bring you joy and pleasure or can grieve your very heart. So Lord, let us speak in ways that are pleasing to you, are edifying to our neighbor, are needful for the moment, that will give grace to those who hear, that your people might be built up and become more like you. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.